If you would, grab a sheet of paper, if you have a scrap sheet of paper. If you don't have anything around you, a paper or pen, don't worry about it. But if you do, uh, grab a sheet of paper and a pen. We're going to have a pop quiz this morning. I know some of you miss school, so we're going to take you back to the day, amen? We're going to have a, a pop quiz this morning. I don't want you to get nervous. If you get the question wrong, you'll still be in good standing with us, all right? So I want you to write down this question. I want you to take a minute to ponder and to think about it. It's going to be multiple choice. The question is, what subject does Jesus talk about more in the gospel? What subject does Jesus talk about more in the gospels? The gospels being the first four books of the New Testament. A, heaven. B, money. C, hell. D, love. Or E, apples and oranges. What subject does Jesus talk about more in the Gospels? A, heaven. B, money, C, hell, D, love, or E, apples and oranges. Now don't cheat. Cover your paper if you have to. <laughs> write something down. Don't be one of those persons who say, I'm not going to write it down, and no matter what I say, you got it right. All right, well, the answer is B, money. Amen. B, money. <laughs> In fact, besides the kingdom of God, money is the most talked about subjects in the gospel. About half of Jesus' parables mention money or wealth, and about one-fourth of them deal directly with money head-on. So about one-fourth of... Jesus' parables are getting, is getting at the heart of our wealth or the heart at our money. So today, we will be specifically looking at Christian giving. We're going to be looking at, as a Christian, what does it look like to give faithfully and to give to honor the Lord? Now, I, I know right away that there are some in here who says, man, you know, my life is falling apart. I've had a hard week. And the last thing I need to hear somebody preach about is money, right? Uh, because sometimes we think that money is irrelevant and it, and it really doesn't have a lot to do with our spiritual walk. But if Jesus talked about it as much as he did, it means that it matters. And I'm willing to bet as we get to the issue of giving and as we get to the, the heart of the issue of money, that some things in our lives are going to be exposed that can help us with our life as we feel that it is falling apart. Amen? So we want to deal and we want to look at, at Christian giving today, and we're going to continue on with our series uh, that we're going through while we're on the fast, which has been entitled, uh, It's Not About Me, The Challenge. So today we're going to look at how it's not about me by reviewing what the Bible says about giving, what the Bible says about our money. So um, if you are visiting with us here today, uh, 
and you feel like maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you are, but you've been uh, abused in the past by a church that uh, constantly nagged you and talked about money and, and it feels like every time you go to a church, all they are doing is talking about money. I first want to apologize to you uh, because maybe that's just how you know, your luck has fallen. But I also want to let you know that here we, we don't just talk about money all the time for the sake of talking about money. Uh, in fact, this is my first sermon in two and a half years here at the church preaching about the subject of money or giving. Amen? But at the same time, I don't make an excuse for talking about it this morning. If Jesus talked about it a bunch, then we need to talk about it a bunch. Amen? And if uh, you don't like hearing sermons about giving or sermons about money, the chances are you probably would not have been uh, uh, a favorite of Jesus' preaching. Amen? All right. So we're going to look at this. We're not going to come out of one specific text. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Uh, so take notes. I'm going to give you the outline of, of how we're going to travel today. The first thing we're going to look at is why we give. As Christians, why do we give? The second thing we're going to look at is, is how we give. How we give. The third thing that we're going to look at today is what hinders our giving. What hinders our giving. Fourth, we'll look at what should we give. What should we give. And then the fifth thing we're going to look at is, is why Jesus offends us when it comes to money. Why Jesus offends us when it comes to money. If you could travel to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is kind of where we've been camped out for the last three weeks. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And we're going to use this as a springboard for the rest of this message. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. If you could just stand for the reading of God's word. Um, here at Forest Baptist Church, we like to stand as we read the word of God in honor of him. And the precious, authentic sufficient, inerrant, powerful, magnificent, beautiful word of God reads, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You may be seated. So as you know, uh, those who have been kind of following us through, this is where we've been camped out. And, and the main idea, the big idea that we have been focusing on these last three sermons is this. It's God's mercy, the mercy of God. It motivates our transformation. The mercy of God motivates our transformation. And then we've been looking at how it motivates our transformation in a number of different areas. So, so far we've looked at how it motivates our transformation as worshipers, as learners, as servants. Uh, last week, uh, Minister Maceo did an excellent job in showing us how it motivates us as, as, as members of the body of Christ and as witnesses 
And today we're going to look at how the mercy of God motivates our transformation as givers, as givers. The text tells us in view of God's mercy, as a result of God's mercy, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual worship. So we've been saying this, Romans chapter 12, the entire chapter has uh, been, been basically talking about two things. Number one, that because God saved us, because God saved us, it, it transforms uh, or, or it causes us to give ourselves completely to God, completely to God. Every part of us now belongs to God because he saved us. The Bible says that he redeemed us. He purchased us, which means he owns us. Every part of our, our, our lives, our thought life, our romantic life, right, our schooling, the way we eat, <laughs> the way we run or don't run, every part of our life. But the second thing it does is not only do we, it calls us to give ourselves wholly or completely to God, but it, it calls us and causes us to give ourselves completely to each other, completely to each other. You know, God saved us and he saved us for very specific reasons. And if we could just kind of put it in a nutshell, I'll say this. The reason God saved you, the reason you're no longer uh, in the world and the reason you love Jesus is because God has a purpose for you. It's a threefold purpose. Number one is so that you personally will come to know him and grow deeper in knowing him. Sanctification. The second reason is so that you would encourage others who are Christians to grow in knowing him. To grow in knowing him. Discipleship or edification. And, and the third is so that your life so that your life would be a witness to those who do not know him. The Christian life can be summed up in that. Knowing God, encouraging other believers in their walk with God, and thirdly, calling those who aren't Christians to God. To God. So here in, in this text, uh, Paul is telling us that and the way that we do that is not being conformed, not being shaped by and to the image of the world, not allowing the world to, to have, our, have our affections, but rather to allow God to shape us. And how does he shape us? He shapes us by the renewing of our mind. He calls us to, to, to review or to rethink the way we've been thinking and to think according not to how we feel, not to the example or the pattern that the world sets for us, but according to his word, according to his will. And then it says that we'll be satisfied. Then we'll be able to discern the will of God. And what is the will of God? It is perfect. It means it's complete. It is pleasing. It is good. If you cannot say overall, as you look at your Christian life, that your life with God is good, that your life with God is pleasing, then you may want to look and say, Lord, am I in your will? Am I in your will? So God calls us to rethink our thinking as givers, as those who, who have been called to, to give monetarily to his mission. But why do we give? 
Why do we give? Let's go to John chapter 3 and let's look at verse 16. Very familiar verse. (laughs) Fresh on some people's minds. John chapter 3, verse 16. When you get there, say, got it? Say it louder so you can wake up your neighbor. Say, got it? All right. John chapter 3, verse 16. The word of God reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Amen. Everlasting life. You all want me to do that as a scripture memorization for next month, don't you? (laughs) Right? So God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. A true manifestation of love is giving. If someone says that they they love you and they never give or they barely give and they always have their hand out to take, it's a good chance that they don't love you. But the Bible says that God so loved that this world that he gave. And what did he give? He gave his only son. He allowed his only son to be given for us. And he says, whoever believes in him, he shall not perish, but he shall have eternal life. In other words, he should have life the way that it's meant to be. Life with God, under the care of God, under the lordship of God. Under the reign of God, the person who believes, who puts their faith completely in God has true life. They have an opportunity to have it more abundantly because they know the giver of life. So God so loved us that he gave. And this is huge because in his giving, those that believe in him, we have uh, now exited a promise of hell. And we have now entered a promise of eternal life. Because our sins separated us from God, we were promised death. We were promised eternal separation from God because God cannot embrace sin. Every single one of us, we deserve death. But as a result of God's kindness, we receive Life because he gave. And how did God give? God gave joyfully. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy set before him, speaking of Jesus. Jesus gave his life joyfully. He gave it completely. By him giving his life, he paid our sins, our past, present, and future sins. He didn't just give so that we could be partly taken care of, but he gave so that we could be completely taken care of. Not only joyfully, not only completely, but he gave sacrificially. He gave sacrificially. And he gave humbly. He gave humbly. So we give, in essence, because God gave. The gospel, the good news that Jesus came proclaiming is what transforms us. It's what motivates us to be givers. Christians should be the least selfish people on the face of this earth. Because of the example that God set before us. If our mind is being transformed, if we're not allowing our mind to be conformed to this world, then we see 
It is because we have looked at what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And that example of him humbling himself, of the God of this universe, putting on human clothes, humbling himself to become a child, walking this earth without sin, dying a gruesome death that we deserve in order that we would not have to experience hell. That is the picture that drives every area of our lives, including the way we handle money, including the way we give. You know, it is a, a, a it, it upsets me. It ticks me off. It angers me so much that this Trevon Martin death and handle uh, the way it's being handled, that it can go on here in this country. It is. It's a, it's a tragedy that we, we, we live in, in a, a country that claims to be so progressive and so accepting of, 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 of races, but this can go on, and there hasn't been much action taken. It does. And I, I'm praying for his family. I hope you're praying for his family. But, you know, George Zimmerman, the, the guy who murdered this young fellow, He's an enemy to most of the United States right now. Most people in the U.S. just can't stand him. And rightfully so. His heart was filled with race, uh, racial uh, issues and, and prejudice and discrimination, and he killed someone. He killed someone. He killed someone who we say is, is, was innocent. He's our enemy. If most of us could just see him right now, we would tell him how we feel, Right? Yeah. But what if, what if George Zimmerman went before the Supreme Court, all the Supreme Court justices, he said, listen, I know I haven't been charged with anything, but I just want to talk to the judges. I just want to talk to them. And what if he stood before them and said, I am sorry. I see that I have uh, been a racist. I, I see that this, this murder was uncalled for, that this really wasn't self-defense. And, and I'm just asking you guys to forgive me and to let me go free, even though I am admitting that I did it and I did it the wrong way. And what if the justices, what if the, 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 the judges said, you know what, you're free. And not only are you free of this murder, but we're going to bless you. We're going to give you a star in Hollywood. We're going to put your face on Mount Rushmore. And we're going to tell people to celebrate the fact that, that, that we've forgiven you. We will be angered. We will be outraged. We will be, we will be teed off, right? Well, can you see that that's pretty much what God did for you? In Romans chapter 5, the Bible teaches that we were enemies of God. God is holy. He is perfect. And we are sinners. And God allowed his innocent son to die in our place. He let us go free when we put our faith and trust in it. And, and he gives us so many riches, so many good things. Though we deserve death. Though we deserve death. And how do we repay him? Do we repay him with gratitude by giving ourselves completely to him and completely to his mission 
Or do we say, ah, I'm a good person. He was going to do it anyway. We give because we understand how great our sin is. We understand how great our sin is. Let's look at how we give. Let's look at how we give. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 7. And the word of God reads. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver. So the first way that we give is we, we, we give uh, in worship. We give as worshipers. We, we give as people who feel grateful. We don't give reluctantly, we don't give under compulsion, but rather we give cheerfully. And why do we give cheerfully? We give cheerfully because we, we know that we don't deserve anything we have. We know that all that we are and all that we have, it belongs to the Lord. So Paul is telling the church at Corinth that we don't give with an attitude. And we don't give because we have to give. But when we understand how good God has been to him, we give as, as an act of worship. We give as an act of adoration. We give as an act of praise. Because he's been so good to us. He's been so good to us. We don't come with fists that's clenched, but we come with a heart that is open. A good, a good picture of this is the, the wise man who came and laid their gifts before Jesus. They, they came expecting, they came worshiping. In fact, in the Old Testament, it often talked about when a person was making, making a sacrifice that they were giving a gift to the Lord. When they came in the right mindset and with the right heart, they saw themselves as, as, as giving a gift. They would bow before the priest and bow before the Lord in, in homage and in, in respect. So even when we bring our offering around, we want to make sure that we're bringing our offering around as an act of worship. As an act of worship, not out of duty, not because we have to, but because we understand that we are giving this back to the king. Giving this back to the one who deserved to kill us and to have us burn eternally in hell. And by the way, Jesus talks about hell in the scriptures more than he does about heaven. A lot of you were shocked that he talked about money so much. You know, we need to revisit the gospel. And see, see this Jesus, this Jesus who calls us not to just give because we have to, but to give cheerfully. Uh, do you give out of habit? Do you just give out of routine? Do you give the same $20? Has it been $20 for five years? Is your, your mindset on what you're going to give for the rest of the year? Or are you giving as worship? Are you saying, Lord, I'm yours. Speak to me. Show me. Show me how you want me to give. And this is very convicting to me because sometimes I can just get in a mode of not even praying about what to give to the Lord. And just the same thing, or, and just, hey, here's my dude, let me throw it in a, in a tray. 
But God is saying, no, give cheerfully. Give as an act of worship. Not only do we give cheerfully, but we give in faith. We give in faith. Look at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will, not might, he will also supply and increase your store of seed and will encourage the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God In thanksgiving to God. So Paul is saying that when we give, we don't give out of fear. But we give out of faith. We don't give saying, Lord, I'm giving this, but you know I've got this bill due in two weeks. We say, Lord, I'm giving you this because you called me to give it, because you deserve it, because it's yours anyway, and because I know that you will provide. He says, whoever sows sparingly will what? Will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. God says those who give to me, those who are about my mission are those who will receive bountifully. Now he says in righteousness. And that's in, in, in every way. God's not just saying he's going to uh, bless or, or fill our barns, but he's saying that he's going to give us more grace. Grace for living. Grace for living. The word of God promises that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Jesus said, when you give, give not grudgingly or necessity. He calls us to, to give out of faith and he calls us to do it cheerfully. He says that he will return it to us, pressed down, shaking together and running over. Will he cause men to give to our bosoms? So we give in faith. We give in faith knowing that he is going to supply our every, our every need. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able to open doors and to make sure that your needs are met? One day there was a, a little boy who was in school, and as a, as a project, the teacher got them all plants. And uh, they, he, she, she taught them how to sow a, a, a plant, and, 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 and she gave them a sign. She said, I want you to go home, and I want you to take this pod and this dirt with the seed in it. I want you to water it, and I want you to put it uh, on a ledge where it can get some sunlight. And I want you to every day look at that plant and just watch it grow. So the little boy came home eager and he told his mother, he says, yeah, uh, this is what my teacher gave us. This is our assignment. So they cleared out the window, the window ledge and they put it up there and he, he went to sleep that night. He woke up early in the morning. He ran and he looked and he saw that the plant hadn't grown. He put his head down and he walked back, went about his day. The next day came up, he got up early, cheerfully went to the ledge looking to see if the plant had grown and the plant didn't grow and he put his head down and he walked back to his room disappointed. The mother saw it, she came to him, she said, son, uh, I see that you keep looking for the plant to grow, but I want want to let you know that it, it takes time. When you sow a seed, it takes time for the harvest to come, but I promise you it will come in due season. 
That's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, you sow that seed in faith. You give to the Lord cheerfully in faith. And in due season, God will reward you. It may be when you least expect it. It may not, due season may not be next week. It may not be five years from now. It may be 10 years from now. You may receive a blessing and say, wow, this came out of nowhere. God is in heaven said, this did not come out of nowhere. I ordained this. And I bless this because you gave years and years ago. Given faith. And you will reap your reward in, in due season. He says you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So how do we give? We give as worshipers. We give in faith. And lastly, we give for the glory and the praise of God. We give for the glory and and praise of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 12 says this. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks, of thanks. When we give and when we meet needs, it releases God's grace in believers' lives, in people's lives. And they are able to be thankful, not to us, but to God. We don't give so that people will be thankful to us and walk around and think of us as saints but we give because we want people to experience the love and the grace of God and to praise God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it tells us to be careful not to practice our righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. He says, for if you do this, you, you already have your reward. He says, don't go sound a trumpet that you gave. Don't go look for opportunities that you're a giver. He says, but rather do it in secret and, and God will reward you. God will reward you. We don't give for the praise of man. We give for the glory of God. We give because we want God's mission to go forth, because we want to see souls saved. Matthew chapter 28, God gave us a commission, and that is to make disciples of all nations. He saved you. He sanctified you. He set you aside so that you and me, that we can put our resources together and make an impact in this world, make a dent in this community. But what hinders our giving? What hinders our giving? The answer is about to be really shocking. What hinders our giving is adultery. What hinders us from giving our resources to the Lord is adultery. It's adultery. Man, I I love my wife and I value her. And uh, I'll tell you what makes me feel good. You want to know what makes me feel good? It's when my wife gives me a compliment. I get up in the morning and have on something, and she'll just roll over or something if she's not up and say, that really looks good on And I, you know, I, I step out in the world just feeling a little better by myself. You know? One of the other pastors or deacons, they could tell me, you know, I really don't like that shirt. I say, so what? My wife loves it. Right? Why? Because we're in an intimate relationship, because we live together. We're married. That is our most important relationship. When she affirms me, it doesn't matter a whole lot what the world is saying about me. It doesn't. It doesn't. See, some of us, we are trying to find our identity in somebody that we're not married to. The Bible tells us 
that Christ is our bridegroom. He's our groom. He's our, he's our husband. The Lord speaks of this in the Old Testament, often calling Israel his bride and talking about how he is Israel's husband. Which means that we, as the bride of Christ, we need to be finding our identity in Christ. And what Christ says is beautiful. What Christ says is good. But rather, we are living our lives in adultery. We are living our lives for the praise of people in the world. We are allowing the world to conform us to their image and what they think looks good and what they think we should be doing with money and how they think we should be living. The reason some of us can't give is because we're keeping up with the Joneses. Now, growing up, I had my neighbors, their name was Joan. And uh, my parents used to always say that. I used to be like, hey, mom, can I get the new Jordan? She'd be like, no, I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I used to think to myself, I've never seen the Joneses with Jordan's on. And then finally I realized <laughs> that that was a universal statement. You know, you run into somebody for the first time, they're like, yeah, I'm not keeping up with the Joneses. You're like, man, you know Joneses too? Now we're trying to keep up with the Kardashians. We are. The reason we can't give is not because we don't have. When we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, they say that those who are in poverty and poor here, we, have, we are 95% richer than the world, well, the average American. Richer than 95% of the world, excuse me. 95%. The, our, the people in this country who we consider to be poor is 95% richer than most of the world. Okay, we've got to get the new pair of shoes. We've got to get the new device. We've got to have the new car. We've got to get the new kitchen appliances. I'm coming your way, ladies. We've got to keep our car clean. And we'll pay $20 to wash our car every other week. But give the Lord $20 on a Sunday morning. Because it's adultery. We're trying to find our identity in the world rather than find our identity in Christ. What does Christ say about money and beauty? 1 Peter 3 and 4. Peter speaking to the women, your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. God says, you know what I think is, is beautiful? You know what I think is high class? I think it's a person whose character looks good. I think it's a woman who is gentle and respectful to her husband. That's what I value. He said it's not the the outward appearance. That's exactly what Proverbs chapter 28 verse 6 of, I'm sorry, 31 verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. But who do we praise? We praise the women who put all their money on themselves. We are a culture filled with Big butts, big boobs, and Botox. And that's what turns us on. And God says, no. What excites my heart, what gets me moving, is not that junk that's going to perish, that one day is going to burn in hell if you don't know my son. 
But it's you being conformed, not to the image of this world, but the image of my son. He says, that looks good. Now, having money is not evil. Liking money is not evil. But loving money is evil. And how does God feel about it? God says, I'm jealous. In Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, how does he start off? He starts off by saying, I'm a jealous God. Why is God jealous and why does he have the right to be jealous? Because he bought us with a price, because he owns us. We're his wife. We're his wife. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, God just captivates us when he says that I yearn over the spirit that I put in you with jealousy. We have been saved and given God's Holy Spirit. God now dwells on the inside of us. He is walking with us and he's saying that I am burning. I am burning with jealousy because I have saved you and set you apart. But you are living like the world and dating the world, having an affair with the world. God says, let's transform our our thinking. Let's transform the way we think about money. God blesses us as Christians, not so that we can hoard, not so that we can have a great retirement fund, not so that we can, can drive the latest cars and live in the biggest houses, but he blesses us in order that we can be in, on mission. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, do not lay up your treasures on earth where rust and moth can destroy it. But rather, he says, you Christians, those who I have bought with the price, you lay up your treasures in heaven where nothing can get to it. But the reason why we hoard, the reason why we continue to try to, to impress people who don't like us and who we don't like most of the time is because sometimes we lose sight of, of life. And this is, this is real. If, we've, if we are Christians and we've been saved by the Lord, we're not just going to live for 100 years. <laughs> this is not it. We're going to live for trillions and trillions and trillions of years. And the Bible says... That how we live now determines how we live in heaven. So we want to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, give me, give me an internal perspective. Don't let me live for the next gadget. Don't let me live in order to impress people. But help me, give me wisdom, show me how to live in a way, Father God, that I'll be pleasing as your bride. your bride. So what do we give? Looked at why we give. We give because God gave. Looked at how we give. We give as worshipers. We give in faith. We give to the glory of God. We looked at what hinders our giving. What hinders our giving is trying to keep up with the world. And the Bible says friendship with the world. James chapter 4 means, in, means that we are enemies with God. And now we're going to look at what we should give. What we should give. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In fact, I'll just read it to save time so you can just listen. What should we give? How, how, how much does God require for us to give? Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, listen to this, Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up 
so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So talk, Paul is talking to this church at Corinth, and he's, he's saying, on the first day of the week, I want each, every single one of you, each, each time, to set aside some money. And what do I, how much do I want you to give? He said, in keeping with your income. In keeping with your income. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful living. So we see here that God is calling us to give according uh, to, 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 to our income. Uh, pretty much so he's calling us to give uh, by, uh, according to how much we make. Um, he doesn't give us a specific amount in the New Testament. He says you give as much as you have decided to give. You give as much as you have decided to give. You give as an act of worship. You give as an act of faith. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Every week, y'all say it's now time for tithes and offerings. And uh, I've, I've been taught that tithes mean that I give 10%. 10% tithes is what I owe, and offerings is what I sow. Well, quickly, what we want to understand is this. Is that in the Old Testament, God put, a, put together a system or a law called the tithe, which represented 10% of one's income. 10% of everything that they earned, whether they grew it or whatever, it was to be taken to the tabernacle or it was to be taken to, to the temple, and the law required that. That was a legal obligation to the Lord. But it wasn't just a 10% tithe. If you study the Old Testament, you look at it as a whole, the average Jew who was being faithful to the law, they were actually given about 23% of their income. Amen? They were like, Praise God, we're not under the law. And that's exactly it. We're we're no longer under the law. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, and he died, and he uh, abolished the law for us. We're no longer under those regulations, those those legal demands. So why do we say pay tithe and offering? We, We use that as a principle. A lot of people don't know where to start to give. And I said, where to start to give. And a good place to to start is, is where God revealed his heart was in the Old Testament, which is 10%. But as a Christian, if you do not give 10%, you're not sinning. You're not sinning. However, 10% is a good place to look at because of the principle that God put in place in the Old Testament. So somebody's like, yes! About to get that new ride! And you missed the whole point. Remember, giving is an act of worship. We give out of adoration and appreciation and thanksgiving. It's also an act of faith. If you are giving and it never hurts, it's never a sacrifice, then something's wrong. David said in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, when someone offered to give him a piece of land in order that he would make a sacrifice, he says, I would not give unto the Lord if it costs me nothing. <laughs> he says, I'm not going to make a sacrifice to the Lord if it's not a sacrifice. Our giving should be a sacrifice. So we should set aside whatever we, we can, whatever we have decided in our hearts. Couples, you should be talking with each other and praying with each other, saying, Lord, how much do you want us to give together? And it doesn't have to be the same thing every month or every week. But give something. 
and give well. But what if I'm, what if I'm poor? What if I just don't have any money to give? Well, listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul is bragging on these churches in Macedonia. And, and, he's, and he's talking about these churches who are poor. Listen to what he says, verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, when I hear those words, I think of like a country that's just experienced an earthquake or something great. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I remember the first time I read that, I had to read it again. In the midst of a severe trial, in the midst of extreme poverty, they were filled with joy and rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability entirely on their own, not urgently, pleading with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. When we put our eyes on God's mercy, no matter if we're rich or poor, we are going to say, Lord, I'm going to give you what I'm able to give you, what I'm able to give you. And those of us who don't have a lot, we want to pray, Lord, give us wisdom. Give me wisdom. Help me to to balance my budget. Help me to balance my budget and help me to give. Help me to give. It's amazing. I used to work at Foot Locker, and uh, it was just amazing. In, in Chicago, I worked at Foot Locker in Chicago so that when the new Jordans came out, I could get a discount. I'm just being honest. I was 16, but I'm just being honest. But it never ceased to, 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 to surprise me that uh, when the Jordans came out, how everybody, the line just went around the door. And I specifically remember one time a mother saying, they better have this child's size because I'm spending my whole check to get them these shoes. Here's a person in poverty that's going to spend, exhaust her money. I was praying that we did not have those shoes. Going to spend a whole check to, to get them a pair of shoes. You know, we say that we're poor and we say that we're in poverty and we may be. Times are tough for, for a lot of people. But it's us looking and saying, Lord, My money is your money, and I'm grateful for what you've done. And I'm able to give something. Remember the widow who just gave a a mite, a penny? And remember how she went around and giving. There's all these great people. They were giving these big bucks, and they were bragging about their giving. And Jesus just sat back and watched. And back then, the church was pretty crooked. They weren't going to take care of the money. Jesus didn't stop and say, don't give to this horrible establishment. But he let her give. And she said that she gave more than anybody because she gave her all. Now, if you're in debt and you owe a lot of people a lot of money, I'm going to ask you not to give big offerings here, but to take care of that debt. A lot of us, we're in debt, and the Proverbs teaches that that's not a good thing. The Word of God teaches us to to owe man nothing but to what? But to love him. The Bible says that we need to get up and we need to work that debt off as as quick as we can and as much as we can. But at the same time, don't say, yes, I've got a $200,000 mortgage on my house. So Pastor said, I don't have to give. (laughs) No, you give out of your heart, amen? You give out of your heart. Give according to your ability. You give because God gave. 
Finally, I want to look at how Jesus offends us for two minutes. Look at how Jesus offends us. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Looking at verse 57. When you're there, say, got it. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Listen to what the word says. And they were walking along the road, and a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And listen how Jesus replied. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is Jesus. He didn't have a place to sleep. This is Jesus. He wasn't born rich. He was born in Nazareth, a poor city where it was often popular for people to respond when they heard that you were from Nazareth by saying, does anything good come out of Nazareth? He was born in the hood, so to speak. This is the son of man, God's son. And he's pretty much homeless. He didn't own a lot of land, but yet Jesus is the most blessed man to ever live. We've got to renew our thinking. We've got to rethink our thinking. We think that being blessed is having great things and a lot of stuff and having a comfortable couch, but that is not what being blessed is. Jesus offends us by saying, guess what? You worship a homeless guy. You sing every Sunday to a guy who didn't have a home, to a guy who who was born in a stable. Our heroes in life shouldn't be those who accumulate great things and who grab, drive Lamborghinis. Our heroes in life should be those who say, Lord, I am yours and I am all of yours. Whatever I have, Lord, I know that you are the king and it belongs to you. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I would lose my job if I said that to somebody. Pastor Jamal, I just just lost a loved one. Well, come follow me. We're about to go preach and let the dead bury the dead. Jesus was was trying to let them know that (laughs) your priority in his life is to love God. And to fulfill his mission. And Jesus saw through this. Most theologians and scholars agree that that this person was just throwing throwing out an excuse. He probably was waiting on his father to die so that he can inherit what was due to him. So he's basically saying, Father, probably saying, Father, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me get my inheritance. And Jesus is saying, no, you follow me now. You follow me now. We've We've got to pray for wisdom. We've got to pray as a church for wisdom. We've got to pray as individuals for wisdom. We've got to pray for God's spirit. We've got to beg God, God, give us your perspective. Because many of us, we're just chasing the wind. And we're living to be fulfilled by that next new thing. And God is saying, I saved you. And I'm telling you, I'm more than enough for you. you. If you get to know me and you trust me, I can give you the life that you have always wanted and more because I can give you a perspective that is not depending upon your circumstances 
I can give you a perspective that says no matter what I have in my bank account, it is well. I can give you joy that the world cannot take away. Go to some of these third world places and you meet some of these Christians and they are just on fire for the Lord. And we've been on mission trips and we've met Christians who, who's, who's, whose homes are not up to American standard, but they have so much joy and it's just overflowing and it's bubbling because their hearts don't believe that satisfaction comes in obtaining stuff. May God give us the grace to worship a homeless man and to say, Lord, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this man, Jesus, he's going to come back one day and he's going to reward all of those, all of his children who said, Lord, I love you. What's mine is yours. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word And we pray, Father God, that you would give us the grace to not live for the approval of man and not live to get the American dream. But we pray, Father God, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us your spirit, give us the grace to say, Lord, show me what to do with my money. Show me what to do with what you have given me for. It's yours anyway. Help us to have a burden for the lost and to see, Father God, They're saving up for a a 70-inch flat-screen TV may not go, it will not go as far as maybe saving up to help someone to go on a mission for you. Help us, Father God, not to think that the riches and the wealth of this world is what satisfies, but help us to know that it's only through your Son that we will find this satisfaction. Thank you for the cross, because it was at the cross that Jesus bought us. And it is through the cross that we now can have the proper vision on what it means to live. Thank you that your son is no longer looking for a home, but he is at your right hand right now in power. He's been exalted above everything, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Help us to live in light of that day, Father God, in light of that day where there will be no more racism, no more prejudice, but we will stand around your throne of people from every nation, type, and, and tongue, Father. Sing, saying holy is the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.